America. My name is Ayumi Osei Firmpong. I come to you live every Thursday now, and I'm coming to you from a little bit of a different setup because I was having some technical difficulties. And, you know, I like to be the kind of person who could buy things that work all the time, but I'm not just not in that um, financial bracket. So I buy things that work most of the time, and this is one of the times where it doesn't work. So I, I'm using a backup you know, laptop, and you're just going to have to get the wisdom through this. This Thursday, usually I come to you at Fridays, but I'm no longer doing the Friday show. I'm doing a Thursday show. So get used to me doing a Thursday show. Um, I'm, you know, set your, reset your spiritual discipline to hear me on this day and not tomorrow. And today we're going to talk about a very comfortable unfreedom. Now, the comfortable unfreedom that I'm referring to is the beginning of Marcuse's One Dimensional Man, wherein he talks about, like, you know, we've emancipated ourselves from all of these conventional expectations. For example, I no longer have to be a dentist because my parents were dentists. My parents weren't dentists, but if I were a dentist, apparently dentists come from dentists. Um, and pharmacists come from pharmacists. If you talk to your pharmacist, their parents are probably pharmacists. And if you talk to your dentist, that's a good chance that, you're, you're, that, that person's um, parents was a dentist themselves. But, uh, you know, in pre-modern times, you just kind of had to do what was expected of you given your lineage. It was given to you. You didn't get to choose who you wanted to be. And the emancipation of modernity is an emancipation from that. Now you get to choose who you want to be. However... You don't get to choose the world in which you be it, which means that um, if the world is organized such that it makes it irrational for you to do anything but what your parents did, then you're pretty much going to choose to do what was determined for you to do um, uh, in a pre-modern way, right? So when I talk to students about this, I tell them that, like, look, right? So before you used to go to UGA because your grandparents went to UGA and then your parents went to UGA and now you've gone to UGA and it really wasn't up to you. Now you get to choose to go to UGA. However, there's something called the Hope Scholarship and most of the UGA students are on the Hope Scholarship. It pays for most of their college education, their tuition if they're in Georgia. And so what happens is that it becomes irrational for them to not go to uh, to UGA. So they are at UGA right now, not because their parents went there, not because they were expected to, be, to go there, but because they chose to go there. However, their choice was gamed by a system that pretty much made it irrational for them to uh, choose otherwise. So the system still gets its control. It's just been laundered through your reason in a way. Right, so are you free, and is that meaningful, or is that recipe for a meaningful life? And insofar as we're going to talk about recipes for meaningful life, I do want to say that there is a show on HBO right now called The White Lotus, which is actually very good. It shows all these kind of different varieties of colonial whiteness in ways that you don't often see in um, depicted. And I, I'm going to just rehearse one scene that I appreciated um uh, between uh, a very wealthy mother-in-law and a daughter who married her very obnoxious son. And so the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law are talking. And how this goes down, how this goes down is that the daughter-in-law talks about she wants to get a job, but the mother was like, what? Why would you get a job? We're rich. I can put you on boards and put you in uh, in positions of power where like, you don't actually have to work. You'll just be on boards and you can kind of show up and go to meetings. and It'll be great. That's what you do. And she's like, no, but I want to do good work. I want to have like a career in like a nonprofit or something like that. She's like, you don't want to do that. Let me just put you on boards. And the, the mother-in-law is just saying like, well, let me just put you on some boards. I know some people. It'll be fun. 
And uh, plus, when you're a nonprofit, all you do is ask rich people for money. And since now you're rich, you don't have to ask rich people for money now. It's just it's it's silly because if you worked for a nonprofit, you would just be asking yourself for money, and that's ridiculous. So like, just own who you are and go on boards. I thought that was very. Uh, it was a very um, actually telling. Uh, kind of expose of nonprofits because people assume that nonprofits are always like somehow good, but they're really just, they still need money to, to sustain. They just don't get their money from customers whom they deliver goods for. They get their money from like rich people who they suck up to. So like there's really, I, I, I'm not one of these guys who romanticize nonprofit, romanticizes nonprofit work. I think it's all just sucking up to rich people as opposed to sucking up to customers. Me, I get my money from you. People, good people. Uh, so if you actually support what I do, you should go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month to support this. You know the quality of wisdom that I try to deliver um, at least once a week, and you know I, I try to do it with some sort of regularity because uh, it's not it's not fair if like some people set their schedules and like. You know, some people think of this as a spiritual discipline, uh, that they, they need this. <laughs> and I'm trying to give you what you need every week so that you don't squander your life, right? So, yeah, I don't make a distinction between nonprofits and for-profit businesses. It's all just kind of sucking up to people for money. Or at least the for-profit ones are actually giving you a service in return. The nonprofit ones are just really just kind of tickling your privates to make you feel good about yourself um, and your charity. But... It's all just a kind of a hustle. So I thought that was a very fascinating little telling co uh, conversation on the White Lotus. If you have some sort of cable bundle where you get HBO Max and you want to watch that, go ahead and do it because it's 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 actually a lovely expose on colonial whiteness, uh, and it's in its different varieties, um, and it's pretty funny. But back to the very comfortable unfreedom. Before you were told what to do with your life, and that was just expected that you were going to do it. Uh, your parents were a dentist, you became a dentist, and that was just how it worked. But now you get to choose. However, we've gamed the incentives such that it would be irrational for you to choose not to do what we wanted you to do to begin with. And so it's a new kind of freedom that's kind of been laundered through free enterprise, a new sort of control that's been laundered through free enterprise. Um, so it gets you to choose to do what society needed you to do. Uh, and that's what Marcusa talks about. And I think that's kind of a very important freedom. And it also, I do this to kind of work the students in the beginning of the semester because this is the way this ends as we talk about like kind of systemic race and gender issues that um, it doesn't really matter if the person is like actively racist or is racist because their parents are racist. No, they're racist now because the the material or incentives are such that um, it's just be, it would be irrational to not like like behave in the same way that your grandparents did. Even though that you are supposed to be much different than 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 your grandparents. I'm talking to white students about this. So like we know that functionally it's the same. They behave the same as their grandparents, even if the reasons for their behaviors uh, are different. I know that about white people, and you know that about white people. But sometimes white people think that even though they behave like me, mom, papa, they're different than me, mom, papa. But I know that functionally it's still a foot on my neck. And black people, we need to get that foot off their neck, off our neck. Right? So, um, and there's a great example of this 
when you think about the Philando Castile murder, um, uh, Philando Castile was murdered, I want to say about four years ago in outside of Minneapolis, and he was driving through kind of like a whitish suburb, and he got pulled over. I think it's called Falcon Heights. There's a great article about this by Kwame Holmes. If you just put in Kwame Holmes, Philando Castile, it'll come up. And usually when you get murdered, the housing prices in the surrounding, if there's a murder, the housing prices in the surrounding neighborhood go down. But with this, the funny thing happened was the housing prices in Falcon Heights, where Philando Castile was murdered, the housing prices went up 13%. And they were trying to figure out why. But it turns out, if you are a, um, a white flight neighborhood, having your police kill the occasional Negro is good for your property value. You want like the people to know, the real estate agents to know that like we shoot Negroes here. And so um, the housing prices went up in Falcon Heights after the Philando Castile murder because he was murdered by the police. And, you know, white, there's a lot of white money in racism. <laughs> you can make a very good life um, being like catering to white racists. And the housing market as a entity is going to take its price, right? So what happened was people say like now rationally, well, I guess it's, I don't want black people to get murdered in my neighborhood, but like, oh, golly, it's really good for my housing prices. And let's be honest, people talk about good schools or whatever. What that means is they're, they're paying a premium for non-blackness. That also means that if a lot of black people move to your neighborhood, your prices will go down. Your housing prices will go down. Um, so now people will say, well, you know, I don't want to move to a segregated neighborhood. I feel bad about this. I feel bad about that. But man, you know, rationally, all the incentives are such that it pushes me towards this behavior. I mean, that's how we crash the whole global economy, like, um, through rational incentives that were mismanaged, um, and, and, and made us all free in 2008, uh, unfree in 2008, right? So... It really doesn't matter your attitude, like whether you do it because it was determined externally by convention or whether you do it because it's the rational thing to do. If you don't kind of have an emancipation from um, kind of the ends of your reason and you then like what's rational to do, what might be satisfying is going to be completely non-meaningful, but uh, um, uh, comfortable. Right, so it's comfortable to be a racist, right? It's very comfortable to be a racist. And, and, um, and at a superficial level, it's going to be rational. Now, at a deeper level, once we kind of emancipate ra uh, re rationality from your comfort, you'll see that it's unrational, uh, irrational. But at a superficial level, with superficial ends, the way to meet those ends are going to be to, um, to participate in many systems that are bad for black people. Right, so it's a very comfortable unfreedom. We offer a very comfortable unfreedom, and uh, that's not particularly good for the bottom people who you're exploiting. But it's going to be very comfortable for you. And then you look back and say, like, you didn't leave a particularly meaningful life because you chose the comfortable unfreedom of doing what's rational. Uh, you know, we did it for the schools. We did it for the property values. And make no mistake, I talk about property values a lot because you have to understand that at some point in time, what's good for black people and what's good for labor justice might not be good for your property values. 
And if you think that it's always good, whatever is good for my property values is good for me, then that's going to be like, that's going to come to an odds. Uh, that's that's going to come against racial justice in a very powerful way. Because I, like this whole idea that a rising tide lifts all boats is kind of silly insofar as some people are going to take a haircut. For us to be free, some a lot of white people are going to like have to take a hit, either in prestige or in money or probably both. It'll be a reasonable hit, and it will still be like, and it'll bring them closer to where we just kind of eat and live as black people. But it'll be a hit for them, and they don't want to take hits. But I'm trying to, like I said, to prep them for the hit. Right, so Marcuse talks about the very comfortable unfreedom that came from being emancipated from conventional expectations and thrown into a rational world that wasn't quite fully rational, but still makes it the case that now it becomes rational for you to behave just like, you know, your like racist grandparent did. Not going to be much different in actual behavior. It'll just be a difference in the reason for that behavior. So it's a kind of freedom insofar as you're not going to do it because it was mandated from you from the external community. You're going to choose to do it, but you're going to choose to do it in a system that's already rigged by various social factors that, I don't know, that are, that are just reward treating black people like disposable garbage. Also, you know, I'm seeing a very strange asymmetry between the trans people I know who are going from female, uh, from male to female who are black and trans people I know who are going from female to male, pretty much I know one <laughs> female to male trans person, and that person's not black. I know quite a few male to ma male to female, and I support the trans movement, but I really do think we have to maybe look at that and say that it's possible that they're choosing a more comfortable unfreedom. <laughs> Right, because if it's so great to be a trans, if it's so great to be a man, you would think that they would be symmetrical. There'd be just as many people going from male to female as they are from female to male, but there aren't. There are a lot of black men going, uh, transitioning to being um, black women. Uh, and, you know, in general, I'm supportive of trans rights. I just think it's dubious that it's not more symmetrical, which means I suspect that a lot of the wages of blackness fall disproportionately on men and they're becoming women in order to get kind of away from being a target <laughs> of American racism in a way. So I think that's that's just kind of an extra thing to think about. Once again, if you support what I'm doing, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com. Kick in $5.15 or $50. Lord, help me because I'm besieged by my students now. Um, and, uh, you know, I talk to you because this way I get to talk to, uh, you know, uh, anyway. So thank you for your time. And I will see you next week while I'll talk about something completely different. But I hope you now kind of have a sense of what a comfortable unfreedom looks like. Very comfortable in the suburbs. You're also looking at those medicine cabinets and thinking maybe they're not particularly happy or living meaningful lives. How did that work out? Well, the choices have been determined by external incentives in a way that's um, the opposite of freedom, but somehow is more orderly and efficient than when it was mandated from the external community. So pre-modern, your life 
is mandated by the external community. Modern, you choose within options that are given to you by the external community. <laughs> but they choose, but you're choosing within these options that have been incentivized such that they're going to choose what you would have done before. And then kind of in a progressive and an advanced situation, you have um, say in the options and you kind of like there's a political process of self-government where you control the world in which you choose. And that's kind of a more robust freedom. But maybe I'll talk about that a little bit early next week. Thursday show is going to be completely different. I hope this has been helpful and I will talk to you next week. Bye.